Aren't they amazing? Man, we are so privileged, so blessed with our uh, worship team. And uh, it's a great privilege to be able to share with you this morning. And we're going to continue our series on cautionary tales. Some of the um, stories we don't hear a lot about, but they are warnings for us. It's a real privilege too today to have my three beautiful daughters here with us. Awesome, aren't they fantastic? And uh, they've got two very, very fortunate men with them as well. And uh, my little grandson, Tehrao, was up the front here. He went for his first swim of the season yesterday. He went in with all his clothes on, gumboots on. And I thought, well, I can't let the little fella go in on his own. So I took my shirt off and I went in as well. There you go. It was pretty cold. Took me two attempts to get in there. I went in and came out. I thought, no, got to win, got to win this. So I went back out there, and uh, it was a great sense of victory and conquest, surviving, and uh, and coming out. Anyway, this morning we're going to uh, look at at the story of Lot's family, Lot's wife in particular. And, uh, you know, Jesus said to remember Lot's wife, just three words about her. We don't know what her name is. We don't know exactly where she came from, whether she was from Abraham's wider family or from somewhere on their journey through Canaan and Egypt. We don't know exactly where she came from, but we do know many of the events that happened uh, in their life. And she was a woman who in a major crisis, I mean a huge crisis, made a bad judgment call, disobeys God. She looks back with longing on her old life and everything that was precious and important to her with disastrous consequences. And you know, when you look at the story, you sort of look and you think, well, well how could this happen to somebody who had so many things going for them, so many opportunities, so much wisdom and knowledge about God? but made that bad judgment call, despite the fact they had clear warnings, seven of them, all close together, and supernatural God intervening on their behalf. You know, when you get on an aeroplane, the stewards get up there and somebody gives a little talk about how to behave. If the unlikely event of the plane needing, you needing to evacuate the plane, you know, they really encourage you just before it takes off. He said, please leave, you know, if you're asked to evacuate the plane, please leave everything behind, all your belongings behind, take off your shoes, follow the instructions of your crew. They always say this because they know what to do. Think, oh, goodness, that's going to be wonderful in that moment of crisis. I'm sure they'll know what to do. But I wonder how easy that would be. Leave your passports behind, leave your money behind, any jewellery, anything precious that you've brought in your cabin luggage because you don't want it in your suitcase because somebody's going to steal it, but just leave it all behind. And that was the call that came to Lot and his family, to Lot's wife. Not so easy to do. I've heard of people when their house has been on fire and everybody's out, there's no children left in the house, there's no cats or pets in the house, but they've just had a brain explosion with the house on fire and thought that they could run in and just rescue something, take a special photo or, I mean, not take a photo, but rescue a photo or things that are precious to them. 
and doing things with bad consequences on their life. Most of us learn the most powerful lessons in our life from our mistakes. This series is about learning from the mistakes of others. Jesus said this. He said, remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you grasp and cling to life on your terms, you will lose it. But if you let that life go, you'll get life on God's terms. So Jesus is saying, remember Lot's wife, not in a positive way, but as a warning that you don't make the same mistakes that she made. Very similar to some of the parables that Jesus told. He told about a very wealthy farmer who was prospering. His crops were booming. In fact, so much so that he spent his nights dreaming about what he would do next, about tearing his barns down and building bigger ones. And, you know, while he's in the process of thinking and dreaming of the future and planning of expansion and growth and everything else, God looks down and says, you fool, don't you know tonight your soul is required of you? You know, we are looking at Lot's wife and Lot's family who were in the midst of a major judgment that was happening that was going to affect this whole area, these towns and these cities that they lived in. But you know, every one of us, we don't know when we're going to leave this life. You know, the one thing we can all be absolutely sure of, that at some time we will stop breathing as we know it. We will go from this life to the next. There's no guarantee at what age. You know, sometimes it's a good idea just to open up the New Zealand Herald and look in the obituary column. Because you see, you know, death has no uh, sort of special age that works where people go from the youngest to the oldest. We don't know when we will go. Jesus is saying here, be ready, be prepared. He told his closest followers when he said about remembering Lot's wife to be ready because you never know what is going to happen in life. You know, what you are in a crisis, and think about this, is what you have allowed yourself to become over time. Interesting verse in Proverbs 24. It says this, if you fall to pieces in a crisis, there wasn't much of you in the first place. It's a great way to say it, isn't it? I don't know how you respond in a crisis. Some people just, and go everywhere, and, you know, we just, we all respond and react differently. But the thing is that as we know and learn to trust God and be with God, then we respond better and better. It helps us to make good decisions. Uh, in our life. You know, what happened? The real problem with Lot's family, Lot and his wife and all the family, was simply this. It was about their possessions. It was about what they had. It was their lifestyle. And over time, with their busyness and their possessions and their worries about this life and the things that were happening to them, it created a drift in relationships that were so important for them. Their relationship with God was something that was left way behind, years before they ever got into Sodom. And then with the busyness of their life, drift was happening in their marriage. And friendships were also distancing themselves. I remember one time we were on Waiheke Island and staying in a, in a batch there, and John and Jen came over and, uh, in John's boat, in John and Jen's boat, both your boat, eh? <laughs> We, we go fishing a lot, and it's John's boat. So, but they came and, and uh, parked the boat down, you know, right close to the to the shore. 
And there were probably about 60, 70 boats uh, anchored out there overnight. And uh, so they spent time with us and went back to the boat to sleep on the boat during the night. And of course, they were anchored in the sandy beach. And uh, when we got up in the morning, you know, the first thing we did was looked out, you know, where's John and Jen? And they'd gone. And we thought, oh, how did John ever talk Jenny into going fishing at this time of the morning? Well, this is sort of unlikely. And, uh, but then one of the kids says, oh, isn't that John's boat out there? John and Jen's boat, out there. And uh, sure enough, way at the back of all of the other boats were John and Jen's boat. You see, overnight, what had happened is there'd been a little bit of wind, tide had come in and gone out, and the anchor was just in sand. And the, and the tide was enough to pull their boat out through all the other boats, thankfully it didn't hit any of them, and parked them out the back. You know, they didn't feel anything happening because there's movement on the boat anyway. But you know something? Drift in life is just like that. You know, if you don't work on your relationship with God, then you have drifted. You have drifted. God hasn't moved. You've moved. You've drifted away in your marriage. You know, it's so easy just to let things go. If you don't work at building love into your marriage, you know, love is like a, like a fire. You know, and a fire, if it's left on its own and fuel isn't added to it, will get less and less and eventually will go out. Drift in life, life happens when you don't sow into the important relationships and don't sow love and do the things that really matter to each of you. Drift in life happens, and that's exactly what happens happened with Lot and his family. It can happen with close relationships. You know, it's a tragedy when you have a close relationship that's so special, but then something happens. You know, a little disagreement, or else one of you move away, and, and, and nobody makes the effort to, to keep the contact going. You know, it doesn't take long before you realize that relationship that was so precious is lost. You know, we cannot afford to just allow drift to happen in lives. We've got to sow into our relationships because those are the things that are so, so important. Life sometimes, suddenly there's a crisis. Storms in life don't come on your schedule. They just come and you suddenly find yourself in it. The Bible warns us about the world. It says in 1 John 2, 15, 17, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only. Now look at these three things and think about them. A craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see. A pride in our achievement and possessions. Now when you think about these things in the world, you know, physical pleasure is an important part of life. I mean, sports and, uh, you know, all those sort of things, being healthy, all, of, all those things are important. A sexual relationship within, you know, God's put the boundaries of within marriage. They really are important. But what it's talking about here is that when physical pleasure takes the focus of your life and you're, you're caught in, 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 a, in a sin of pursuing that, then it's out of balance, a craving for everything we see. I mean, I like nice things, I'm sure that you do. And we like nice clothes and cars and all of those things. But that's not what life is all about. There's also a pride in our achievements and a possession. We should be 
you know, proud of the things that we have achieved in life, whether it's in sports or academics or in business or whatever. But that's not what life is all about. You know, the Bible says you, when you came into the world, you had nothing. And when you go, and we're all going to go, every one of us, I'll say bye now just in case somebody's not here next week, you know. Don't say nobody cared. I'm telling you, it can happen. You'll take nothing with you. All the things that you built up, all the things you work for, somebody else will have them. I tell you what, they're not going to care about them the way that you do. They'll spend them quickly. And, uh, and the Bible just warns us about the power of the attractions of the world. So how are we to live life so that we can handle when crises come into our life? And, you know, Jesus simply said this. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. You know, how do you prepare yourselves for unexpected crises in life? It's by building the habits of a believer of Jesus Christ. It's what we cover in Growth Track about devotion to God, about Bible reading, about talking to God, communicating with Him, practicing His presence, knowing that He is with you in every situation, and sowing those things uh, into your life. Build a strong foundation so that when crises come, then you can stand in them. David's a great example of somebody, a leader of influence, who not only knew how to respond in the crisis, but also influenced those that followed him. You know, one time his men had been out, 600 men had been with him raiding different towns. They come back to their own town after several weeks away, looking to get back to their families, their wives, their children. They come back to their city, and the town is on fire. The gates are open. They go to the town and see their wives, their children, have been taken captive by the enemy. All their possessions had gone. The men were already exhausted when they approached the city, and when they saw this, their hearts were broken, and it says they became bitter in spirit. They just got to an end of themselves, and then they looked for somebody to blame, and they turned to David. But the Bible says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord, and the men saw what David was doing. You know, they didn't have the same connection with God that David did, but they trusted their leader. And when they saw him connecting with God, and then they saw him seeking God for, for the solution, and God said, you know, go and pursue them, you'll recover everything. You know, they got back on their horses and they went out and they did exactly what they were told to do. But you know, where did David get that ability to connect from? You know, Psalm 5 gives us the answer. David says this, he said, Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Every morning I bring my request to you, and I wait with expectation. The reason he could connect with God in a crisis is because he connected every day. It was the pattern of his life. And if you want God to be with you in situations that just rise up and that are difficult to handle, I tell you what, it comes from a relationship, a daily relationship with him. There are no shortcuts to be had. Let's have a look at Lot and his family. What are some of the things we're going to see uh, quickly about them? Number one, they had a lot going for them. Whoa, brilliant. What a great point, wasn't it? Lot had a lot. They all did. But they were from an excellent family. This is 
Abraham's nephew. Abraham's brother Haran had died and Lot was the son. So he inherited everything from his father. And, uh, and when Abraham left to go into Canaan and Egypt and back to Canaan, he took Lot with him. And so Lot came with him. We don't know whether he was married at that point in time. Probably he was because they tended to marry within the tribal context. And uh, so probably she came with Lot at that point in time. But whatever happened, we know that he had a great uh, education. He learned a lot about God. Abraham knew how to connect with God. He learned about worship, following God, receiving blessing. You know, Abraham was so tremendously blessed and is a great example for each of us now. But he lived with him. He was adopted as a son and said, come with me. And he came and traveled with us. So he had all that back, had a lot going for him. Lot has a lot. He is wealthy. He's inherited everything from Abraham's brother. They had lots of money. You know, when Abraham traveled, the Bible says that he had three, over 300 trained men that traveled with him. That means they had families. And so, you know, when Abraham put his tent up somewhere or his men put his tent up for him, you know, a couple of hundred other tents were put up all around him. When they moved, it was a whole tribe that was moving. And Lot was with him as well, with all his servants and all his men and all his tents. And they were traveling together and it became, God blessed them so much that they could no longer travel together. They had to separate. And Abraham said to Lot, you know, whatever you choose, you can go to the right or the left and I'll go the other way. But you know, it's an interesting thing. We, this is the first insight we get into Lot's character. Because if anybody knows anything about tribes and, and, and tribal loyalty and the chief, and well, Abraham was the chief. And so whoever's going to make the decision in a situation like that, the chief will make the decision. But Lot, Abraham gives that opportunity to Lot. Lot doesn't respect and honor Abraham, his uncle, the chief of the tribe. Instead of that, you look at what it says. Genesis 13, Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoe. The whole area was watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. Verse 11 says it all. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley. He saw what was best and he said, that's for me. He didn't honor or respect Abraham at all. And so he took all his servants, all his people, his wife, and they moved into the Jordan Valley towards the city of Sodom. And so he lives there. And we know that from that point on, there's about 23, 24 years that goes by. And so what happens is Lot takes his flocks in towards the city. It doesn't take long. You know, if you're living in a tent and there's Auckland City just, you know, just across the bridge or whatever, wherever the flocks are. Auckland's a little bit big these days, isn't it? To use that as a great example of it. But it didn't take much for Lot and his wife to go into the city and see the apartments and see the opportunities, see the investments. Why be living in a tent? Why be looking after smelly sheep? You know, when we can have everything that we want here in the city. And it doesn't take long and they sell their herds and and they put their tents on trade me and they 
buy a couple of apartments down the viaduct. One's a penthouse that they're going to live in. The other ones are going to rent out. They buy shares in Air New Zealand. They start to put their investments, get their money to work for them. They've got everything going, going really, really sweet. And Lot is accepted as an elder in the city. He's wealthy. He's a good person. And they get him sitting on the city gate making judgments every day along with the other leaders of the community that they are now a part of. Mrs. Lot, well, she's sought after for social uh, engagement. She's very, very popular. They're girls. The girls have grown up. They're going to the best school in town. They are young ladies, and they are being trained really, really well. Only the wealthy and the privileged get the opportunity to go to that school. And so everything is going great. There's only one problem. The problem is that Sodom's got a reputation. You know, we find that the reputation is one not to be desired. This is the Las Vegas plus of Canaan. You know, what happens in Sodom stays in Sodom. And so it's a place where a lot of people visit, but not everybody wants to stay. In fact, the Bible tells us clearly that Lot every day was troubled by what he saw happening in the city they chose to live in. So it wasn't like he just joined in and went for everything that was happening. No, he was troubled by everything that he saw. He was not a happy chappy living in the situation. But there were a lot of advantages. Everything was working for them. And so there's this toss-up between how I want to live and what I want to possess and what I want to see happening and what do I want and what does my wife want and what, what's going to be the best for my girls. And uh, they've got a way to go ahead and so the family accept the situation. See, what's happened has been this. Firstly, they moved towards Sodom. Then they move into Sodom. And then they make choices about whether they will stay or whether they will move. But they make the decision to stay and to work through the issues they're facing every day. And at that point, Sodom moves into them. That's what happens. The possessions, it happens slowly. It doesn't just happen automatically. It doesn't happen quickly. But over time, suddenly, they're not going to change their situation. In fact, at one time, kings come and defeat the city of Sodom. They take all of Sodom captive, including Lot and his family. And if it wasn't for Uncle Abraham coming to the rescue, they would be gone forever. But, in, but Abraham did come to the rescue, did set them free, did release them, and made it very clear that he would accept nothing from the king of Sodom. He had no time at all for the king of Sodom. And he makes it very clear, but still, Lot and his wife and his daughters choose to go back to Sodom and to live in the situation that they are familiar with. You know, we are to live in the world, but not be of the world. Jesus said, you know, if you grasp and cling to life on your terms, you lose it. But if you let it go, if you hold life and possessions with an open hand, it's not wrong to have things. It's good to have things. And this life, there are so many blessings and good things that we can enjoy, but it's with an open hand. So we can let them go. We can walk away if we need to walk away. These things do not possess us. We own them but we can also let them go. Where your treasure is, Jesus said, is where your heart is also. Seek first 
God's kingdom and His righteousness. Why seek first? Because God will not take second place to anything or to anyone. God first. Then all of these things will be added to you. You can trust Him to watch over you. So 20 years go by. You know, they move from tents to penthouse. No man traveler to an elder of the city. Schoolgirls to being engaged to, to prominent and wealthy fiancés. Life is great. They can handle things about Sodom. But the trouble is life is getting busier. You know, work on the, being an elder in the gates, making decisions, judgment for all of the city with the mayor and the other leaders of the city. It's a busy life. There's no Sabbath. There's no day off. It's seven days a week. You know, Sodom never sleeps. It's just one of those places. And the days get longer. And after work, there's the parties. And Lot knows enough at what time to leave before the real action begins. But he gets home late at night regularly. And his wife has to fill her life up with whatever. And so she's meeting friends and all of these things. And, and their relationship is drifting apart. There's no longer the roses from Mr. Lot. There's not the messages coming through. There's not the connections that are happening between them as a couple. And so Mrs. Lot turns to a social calendar, and then she's got two weddings. These are going to be the best and biggest weddings in Sodom, and she's got all the planning and putting together of the marriages for her daughters and those little things. So drift is coming. They wouldn't admit it or recognize it, but both of them are becoming self-focused. So Lot is focused on his importance and his business and the position that he brings to his family. Mrs. Lot is focused, turns her focus from her husband to her daughters and the planning for the future. So there is a satisfaction in that, but the drift has got really wide between the two of them. They don't realize if somebody had said to them that they were focused on themselves, they would have denied it and said, no, no, things are going really good. You know, I wonder this morning, you know, about your marriage. Those of you that are married together, just the busyness of life. I mean, life just gets so busy. It gets busy with church life. It gets busy no matter what we're doing. But, you know, don't allow, husbands, wife, don't allow the busyness of this life to consume you to the point that you forget to be sowing into the relationship that is the most important relationship in your life. You know, God is first, but then your husband, your wife, are the next ones. And so into their lives. If I were to ask you today, how is your relationship going? I'm sure every one of you would say, it's going okay, which means nothing. And then the other, the wife or the husband would say, yeah, right. Drift happens. Drift happens. I tell you what, when we know the drift is happening, I tell you what, it's time to stop. And it's time to do something about it. And it's time to apologize. And it's time to sow back into the relationship of the person that is the most precious person on earth, the gift of God to you, to sow into their life and to hear them and to listen to them and let change come back in. Sow into that fire and let love happen. The Lot family are not going to change their circumstances. But... Change is coming. There's a wholesale judgment coming. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, 
it's like the earthquake in Christ. It just happened. When it happened, it happened. There's no time to prepare for it or to realize stuff just happens. And this is exactly the type of thing that happened to Lot and the family. A judgment is coming. Lot, no, but they don't know about it. But who does know about it? I mean, it's amazing. Abraham, the uncle, Uncle Abraham. You know, he talks to God every day. He prays for Lot, the wife, the girls, the fiancés, every morning. He prays, he lifts their name to God. And God comes and visits him with two angels, tells him what he's about to do. Abraham prays, he intercedes. God says, even if there's 10 righteous people, this judgment will be averted. You can, you can read the story. And then he sends two angels to Lot, to Lot and his family, and the angels come to him. And that night when the angels come and the angels warn about what's happening, the men of the city gather round the house to have, they wanted to have sex with the two angels. You read it, the story's, some of it's really, you know. But that's the story. That's where, that's what was happening. Lot goes out to plead with the men and tell them to just be respectful and to go away. And the men turn on Lot. And so they start to grab Lot and drag him away from his own home. And the angels come out. Angels. They had great Mike Tyson angels, they were. Fantastic. Richie McCaw, something like that. They blind the men. So supernatural stuff happens. The angels come, they grab Lot, they blind the men. So the men get just floundering and they have, they, so they just drift away. They go away. The danger is averted because of supernatural intervention of God. And then the angels tell Lot, go and warn your sons-in-law, anyone else in the city, that destruction is coming. It's time to get out. So Lot has time to go and talk to his future son-in-laws. And he wakes them up and he says, guys, the city is going to be destroyed. God's come. They send angels. And, and you know what the sons-in-law said? They said, they looked out the window. They said, don't be so stupid, you silly old fool. Why don't you go home? Why don't you go back to bed? You're just ridiculous. They had no respect at all, which says something about Lot's walk with God and his testimony was absolutely nil. He had nothing there, no respect, even with the future sons-in-law. Then the angels do something else. They say, arise, leave, flee, get up out of here. And it says in verse 16 of chapter 19, it says, Lot hesitated. When it says he hesitated, the wife hesitated, the girls hesitated, everybody stopped. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? You think all of the people coming around, supernatural, the angels, boom, everybody goes blind. The time to warn people, it's time. Come on, guys, let's get out of here. They hesitate. You know, why would they hesitate? They hesitated because everything that was in their heart was in their home. They were anchored. You see, the treasure, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And their heart was tied to everything that was there. And it says that God showed mercy towards them. It's the first time the word mercy is mentioned in the Bible. When the word is used for the first time in the Bible, it's often an illustration of that word means. And God's mercy goes to such an extent. God was not answering Lot's prayers. He was answering Abraham's prayers. 
And the angels grabbed Lot by the hand and Lot's wife and each daughter. They all had to be dragged out of their home. And they had to be dragged out of the city. And when they got to the start of the hills and the mountains that are hit, the angel said, now don't stop. You keep going and don't you look back. You keep going up those mountains. Get out of here because destruction is coming. And you read what Lot says. It's amazing. This guy is just so focused on himself. It's unbelievable. And so they tell him to get out and to go. And he says, no. He said, no, my lords, please. Your servants found favor in your eyes. You've shown great kindness, listen to the words, to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Where's your wife? Where's your kids? What's wrong with this man? Totally focused on himself. I tell you what, your life isn't just about yourself. It's about people. It's not about things, and it's not just about you. You know, it's your relationship with God. It's your connecting with people. Everything we do, you know, when we're facing trials and troubles, it's about walking through together, hand in hand, together, taking our kids with us. You know, I said you can't take anything to heaven. You know, you came into this world with nothing, you leave with nothing. You know what you can take into heaven? You can take your wife and your husband. You can take your kids. Look at all these kids here. And the grandkids. And the great-grandkids. They can all come. But that's all you can take. Can't take any things with you. But this guy, he's just totally focused on me, me, me. He says he finds a little town that's small and he runs to it. And so they go running. Lot's daughters are like Lot. They follow in their father. So he's running like crazy. They are keeping up in step with him. They're younger than him and they can be where they are. And so they were holding on him. They were following him and they were going with him. But where is Mrs. Lot? You know, where's Mrs. Mr. Lot? Where is she? Is, aren't you walking together? Isn't that how marriage works? You walk together hand in hand. You take steps together. Where are your kids? They should be holding each other's hands at this point. Now the angels have let them go. But the husband's gone. The daughters are gone. And Mrs. Lot finds herself on her own. And she's struggling. She's struggling emotionally. She's struggling with every feeling about everything that's been important to her. Her husband's way out in front of her. He doesn't care about me. And she's struggling. And then she's thinking back of everything that they've sowed into for the last 20, 30 years. They've sowed it all and it's all back there. The sons-in-law are back there. She loved those boys. They're back there. Where are they? And she's going through all of this stuff in her head. And a little voice whispers in her ear, you can look back. It'll be all right. One little peak won't hurt. That same voice that spoke to Eve in the garden. One little bite won't hurt. Look at it. Fruit looks good. What harm could that do? God's kidding. He's just, just try it. Adam, look. This can't do us any harm. Take a bite. Adam takes a bite. Eve takes a bite. You know, we're still paying the consequences. 
for what happened with that decision. Lot listened, I mean, Lot's wife listened to the voice. She turns back. And the Bible says she turned into a pillar of salt. You know, it's an interesting illustration, isn't it? Because we are to be the salt of the world. Not to be a pillar of salt. But do you know what salt does? Salt preserves things. Preserves life. Preserves health. It flavors things. We are to be salt. We are to bring the best out of other people. We are to be encouragers and, and lifters of people. We are to be people of influence. We are to be the salt of the earth. But you know, if we just focused on ourselves and what we're going to have, we haven't got time to sow into the things that are of real value. You know, God wants us to be a people of influence. You know, here this morning, you need to add value. You know, firstly, it's about our relationship with God. But you know, for every husband and wife here, man, you sow into that husband, you sow into those beautiful women that God's entrusted into your care. It's a responsibility. It's not just being married and spending time together and allowing drift. It's about sowing and Wives, you respect that husband of yours. And boy, he might not be Brad Pitt, George Clooney. But I tell you what, those guys can't even work out a marriage. Your man can. So a little bit of effort, a little bit of help from you, he'll do okay. He'll be great. So into lives are important. Some of you here, I really feel a challenge about friendships. Some of you have let some precious friendships go. You know, when you go from this place, you pray about it, but I, I believe God wants some of you to reconnect. Reconnect and just start building back. And it's not necessarily some great chasm that's happened, but just drift, drift that's come in. God wants us to be the very best people that we can be. Certainly wants the best in our marriages in our families. Now I know, and I'm going to touch on two things here, because I know some of you here, marriages won't have worked out, you know, and that's so hard to go through something where you've had to walk away, where there is so much potential and, and, and so much want on your part, on both of your parts to, to make it happen, but it, it hasn't worked. But, you know, the thing is we've got to deal with reality. And the reality is this, what's important for you is if you've walked away or if things are broken is firstly just to forgive. Forgive, let go and move on. But move on with God. Move on asking for his help and that he will be with you. Some of you have lost your partners because they passed away. Ah, that's so hard. But you know, God is for you. God is with you. He's got an awesome, awesome plan for your life. We're going to do two things. Firstly, I just want every married couple, if stand, just stand up where you are. I'm just going to pray a prayer. That's all. I just want to pray. And, and if, if your partner's not here, just stand. That's, that's cool. You know, this whole world depends on families 
you know, families connecting us to the distant past, families all the way through, having children, raising families, some doing well, some not doing, doesn't matter. You know, but if it's up to us, we can do the best. You know. None of us are perfect. But I tell you what, I look out and see you guys and girls. I think you're fantastic. I just want to pray. I have the privilege of praying for you. Hold hands if you're together. Whatever is the best. I'd have my wife here, but she's out, and that's cool. Father God, I thank you for every couple here, every couple represented, Lord God. Father God, I thank you for them right now. And Father God, I pray, Lord, if there's any drift that's happened, Satan, I just speak to you if you've tried to come in and speak separation, speak negative things into any of these lives, any of these couples. I take authority in the name of Jesus Christ and I break your power, your curse, your words, your thoughts, your lies. And I break them in the name of Jesus and command your influence to be gone forever in the name of Jesus. Father God, I pray for your hand of blessing come on each couple, that you will bless them, surround them with your love and your grace and the power of the Holy Spirit Lord God, to guard and keep you set your angels around them. Protect their families. God, teach them to pray that, Lord, for generations, their offspring will follow you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all of you said, Amen. Come on, let's give God a clap. It's not over yet. You can sit down. I want to pray for every single person in this sense. You know, if you've been married, one partner's died, separate, whatever happened. And look, I, I'm not doing anything to embarrass you. I just, can you just stand up? If it, if it applies to you, can you just stand up? You know, for whatever reason, good reasons, bad reasons, death, don't. Just the other person was a rat, whatever. Stand up if it's you. Are you single now because of whatever? Yeah. Others here? Awesome. Awesome. Just want to tell you this. Look at me. Don't look down. Don't look at me. Look at me. You are. God told me. Tell you that you're awesome. You're awesome. You're fantastic, fantastic people. And he told me this. He said, I've got a plan for every single one of them that's going to blow them out of the water. God's plans are good. Don't you let this thing rob you, your destiny, everything you're carrying. It's just a lie of the devil. Tell you what, God overrules every judgment man might try to make or the devil would try to impose on you better use you stand six foot eight flipping tall. Be the woman of God he's called you to be. Hey, you're just awesome. You're awesome. Buddy, God's got good plans for you. And you. And you. Fantastic plans. Just you keep pressing in. 
Tell you what, these people are special, awesome people. You guys, make sure you love them all the time and tell them how good they are. Father God, I thank you for every person with the courage to stand up. God, bless them and anoint them. Father God, all our hearts go out to them. Lord, all our hearts, come on, let's be clapping them, cheering them, church. Our hearts go out to them. Lord, we ask you to bless them, make them champions. Oh God, we long to see your future for each one in the mighty name of Jesus. Let's all stand up. We're going to sing and worship. Praise God. Now the silence breaks. Now the silence breaks. In the name of Jesus, as we lift our eyes to a hope beyond. Oh, creation awakes with a voice like to declare the reign of the Lord our God. We will not be moved. We will not be moved when the earth gives way. again to lift our expectation again to another level and I'm not just talking about single people here people here who have lost businesses people here have had failings in their lives people have had a past that they just they don't want to carry with them anymore I'm telling you it's time to lift your expectation again because God is a God of new things God is a God of redemption he takes the old and he makes it into something beautiful that's who he is so if you're carrying something from the past now's the time to leave it here and lift your eyes again because I tell you the best is yet to come amen come on so good we're going to take up a moment, we're going to take a moment right now, we're going to sew together into something that is absolutely unique and special. We're planning a church in a Muslim nation. We're planning, in fact, the church will be meeting today. They've only been meeting for a few Sundays. And in just a, in about eight weeks, we're going to go over there, with Mike DeVita and a team going to go over there, and they're going to just open for the first time an Elam church in Bangladesh. This is so exciting. Now, we've seen that happen with China, which has been unbelievable. We've seen it happen with Samoa. And we, but, but God has given us a mandate to take the gospel into every nation. And we believe there's something special and wonderful about what God has given us in this family. And so we're going to take a moment now and do that. So I'm going to ask the ushers to take the bags and pass them around. Would you take a moment and pray, God, what do you want me to give to be a part of what you're doing in this new church, in this new nation, where the gospel has to go out, where people have to be reached, where people have to be found, where God's heart breaks every day. Come on, let's go into this together. We're going to sing one last time. Let's worship Him and let's believe for a great offering for Bangladesh. Come on. He shall reign forever. He shall reign forever, strongholds now surrender for the
I gotta say one more thing. I gotta say one more thing. You know what? For every person who got to their feet when Bob asked them, every single person, here's what you gotta understand. When you do that, when you take something that you are hearing and feeling and you translate it into action, that requires something. Do you know what that thing is? That thing is faith. That's what it takes. To take what, it, what you believe in and put it into action, that requires faith. And I want to say to every one of those people, if there's one thing that delights God, that Hebrews 11 tells us, it's faith. God is delighted when we step out in faith. God cannot wait to move on our behalf when we step out on faith. That is what we're called to do. We're meant to live by that. And I tell you, for every one of you, I absolutely unequivocally, without a shadow of a doubt, believe that good things are ahead because you got to your feet today, because you seized the moment and you did something about it. So I want to honor you this morning. Can we give everyone a hand this morning? Come on, let's do that. Mighty God, we love you. We praise you, God. As we go from this place, God, lift our expectations again. Thank you, God, that our future is not directed by our past. It is directed by our God. And so again, we are as people of faith, God, we step out of this place and a confident expectation of good things ahead. God, the best is yet to come. We love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him one more hand for me, will you? Give him one more hand for me. God, we love you. You're amazing. All right, church, you're going to have a great Sunday. This cafe's got some phenomenal food. Don't forget one conference is coming up. And a thank you again for everyone who came out yesterday to help us. Let's believe for a great week, eh? We love you. We'll see you next Sunday.